KSUS News podcast series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. I'm your program host, and let's say hello and welcome, as we always do, to our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson. Hello, Patrick, and it's good to be here from sunny and very, very nice Texas, where the weather is great, and it's great to be a Jeep owner. Uh, so what's uh, what's been going on with you, Gene? What, what's new? Well, uh, a little bit of everything. I don't know. Since we last spoke, uh, we, uh, of course, went on that search in Plano. And uh, we've uh, been actually writing the, uh, the after-action report on that one. And it's uh, now going to be out here fairly soon under the, uh, the NIST banner. And uh, all the things that we did and had to do and worked with the FAA and worked with the FAA quite well. And uh, uh, that's just been a part of it. And then from there, it's just been kind of a snowball. Uh, And I know you wouldn't know anything about that because you don't have anything to do these days either, from what I understand, right? No, just, you know, sitting around counting my money. (laughs) That's Oh, I forgot counting. I have to get somebody else to do that for me. I don't have time for that. Uh, I know. Yeah, well, you know. No, there's lots going on, and it's kind of funny, you know, I'm trying to, uh, hopefully here with the days getting shorter, I'll get more time, because people were uh, were up at that UAS show in Reno, and people were coming by the booth and beating us up about the podcast, and how come there's so few and far between. And, uh, yeah, a little bit of time there. Yeah, it's a, it's a time thing, mainly, to keep all of the balls in the air, I'm doing the... You know, I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but I'm also doing the FAA Beyond Visual Line of Sight Committee. Um, right. Yeah, and I'm trying to actually get a few companies, and I did get one uh, guy that does search and rescue with uh, unmanned aircraft systems. You may know him to to write up a um, let's say use case scenario for operations beyond visual line of sight. Working on that. Um, if you follow the news, not you, I know you know, but uh looks like we are getting a change of leadership at the UASIO, and I think that that's already happened um, as we have um, someone else signing off on the documentation. And also the COAs, which I was part of a – well, I was actually an observer on a demo yesterday that had a COA signed by the new acting manager – and I forget her name right now. It's Jacqueline, but I forget her last name. Robinson. <laughs> My, I yeah, remember uh, that. There you go. I was, but you know, I wanted. I didn't want to be the association thing and be wrong. You know. It, um, I will say right up front that there there is no relation between us or anything else. Uh, although uh, I, you know, maybe I should dig back and go to ancestry dot com and check. Maybe this could be your your insider, <laughs> uh, you know, link to getting something done. So that ought to be interesting. Um, you know, the MPRM supposedly coming out still. I hear there is going to be a, a mini exodus from the FAA. Um, I don't know if um, this is a reason why, but I would say that it's probably an opportune uh, moment to to exit. Um, so I think you're going to – the proof is going to be in the pudding in the MPRM in years of – let's say, special interest, dysfunction, it's all going to be in there, and I think people are going to go nuts. Personally, that's what I think. Um, so I'm, maybe that has something to do with it. We have not um, 
you know, we've been waiting around for a while. So we'll have to see what happens there. Um, The other thing, did you catch the South Park last night? I missed it, unfortunately. I heard it was hysterical, though. Okay, no spoiler alerts, please. I don't want to know what the the, the, the the multi-motor did. (laughs) No, it it was kind of funny, but, uh, you know, Craig's mom... Tough break for her. That's what I got to say. But anyway, it was it was kind of funny. It was it could have been worse, so it wasn't that bad. Other good news okay. is it uh, looks like um, Aerovel and Tad McGear got some good news about ITAR and being able to sell their flex rotor overseas. So th- that's encouraging. That uh, there might be a possible income stream for people overseas, which is good. Uh, I was out on a demo yesterday for the parks, state parks, California state parks. There was other people there. I know a lot of people that um, names that you've heard and people that we've met and people that have been on here and people that I've never met in person. It was pretty good. Nice little demo. Uh, beautiful weather out here. Skies were, were, you know, sunny, no wind. And uh, it was, it was uh, everything was, the goals were accomplished. Some of that, hopefully, I captured in video and we'll we'll put up on the YouTube channel someday soon here, as soon as I get some spare time to make that happen. Um, but, you know, before we go much longer here, I want to bring on our guest, uh, Mr. Brandon Basso from 3D Robotics. We're going to have him on. We're going to talk about uh, some of 3D Robotics' new offerings or turnkey offerings. So, without further ado, uh, hi, Brandon. How's it going? Hey, Patrick. How are you doing today? Very well, very well. Thanks for having me on. Hey, no problem. Uh, this is kind of what we do is we we, we try and uh, get the information out to the community so they know what's available and how to use it. So before we go on much further, uh, maybe you could uh, give, you know, I know you and have known you for a while, but maybe you could give the listeners a little background on yourself, how you became involved with unmanned aircraft and um, and 3D robotics. Yeah, sure. No problem. Well, I've been doing um, UAV related things for quite a while now. Um, I was at Cal and I worked at a kind of medium sized UAV research group called the Center for Collaborative Control of Unmanned Vehicles which is usually shortened C3UV, um, and uh, did a ton of work with uh, teams of autonomous vehicles. So how do you get one operator to control, you know, five, ten, hundred uh, small uh, UAVs? And um, through that work, uh, I kind of became aware of 3D robotics, and we were, we were using large uh, Piccolo autopilots, large scale aircraft, MLB BAT-4s, and kind of towards the end of it, uh, I started working on RG Pilot 1, maybe in 2009, and uh, met Chris Anderson through that, um, CEO of 3D Robotics. And then uh, when it came time, when I was looking for a job a couple years ago, I found uh, found Chris again, and uh, here I am at 3 r So that's kind of the, the brief uh, background. <laughs> the brief background. Yes, and I know it's been... Uh... You know, it's kind of funny. You know, you know, we were kind of talking about that, the time thing, Um Earlier in the podcast, and I'm sure you're kind of in the in the same boat. Things are moving so fast, <laughs> you probably have a little uh, in the way of spare time. And uh, right. you know, so I, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry, I stopped on you there. Oh no, 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 no. 
Well, you know, it's just uh, so much is happening. It's so dynamic. But, you know, and that's kind of, um, you know, I mean, I, I know that uh, 3DR is going through a lot of changes. A lot of exciting things are going going on and changes and, and, and partnerships and development and things like that. And so, you know, before we get into the the reason you're on about the mapping and whatever else, I'd like to maybe if you can kind of talk about that, talk about say some of the changes that are going on at 3DR and some of the new directions and and things like that. I know it's it's it, there's a lot and it's kind of a broad thing, but maybe you can uh, speak to that a little. Yeah, for sure. Um well, 3DR has gone through uh, uh, many changes that it's changed as a company quite a bit since when it started and you know, back around 2007 when it was founded by Jordy and Chris, you know, the way you would interact with 3DR is you'd get a bag of parts um, and you could solder them together and make your own RG pilot. And uh, that was great for uh, a lot of people like myself who was doing you know, research and had the ability to do that and had the, more the um, kind of the, the interest in doing that. And then uh, maybe a year or two later, we started um, integrating those parts into autopilots. And that, that was our main product for a while. Uh, and then those autopilots became ready-to-fly aircraft, uh, which became a bigger and bigger part of the business. And then, of course, with the release of the 3DR Iris, kind of our first real consumer product, um, an even bigger part. So it kind, of, it kind of transitioned from hobbyist to consumer, and uh, hobbyist is still supported very much and is at the core of the company. Consumer is becoming a bigger part and will continue to be a big part. And now, um, with the introduction of our new mapping platforms, you know, industrial is becoming... Big part. And it's really interesting to see how each of those has informed the next step because we actually do have quite a bit of um, feedback from what we do uh, industrial to consumer and consumer to industrial and hobbyist to all the others. So that that's kind of the the general narrative arc. Um, but you know, as always, we're we're interested in making the aircraft more accessible to a broader range of people, and that's true for you know both industrial and consumer lines. And that has a lot to do with UI. Uh, UX, um, ease of use, uh, things of that. Right. Yeah. There's. Uh, I mean, you guys are definitely covering, uh, let's say, a, a broad spectrum of of end users and developers, which is good. And uh, you know, uh, we were. Uh, I saw you up there at the uh, that uh, UAS show in Reno, the mapping show. And I uh, watched your presentation, and I was, in, you know, I was impressed. You know, we're we're definitely dialing it up a couple of notches as far as uh, where you guys are headed. And I think that uh, the conversation was candid as far as where you guys have been, where you're at, where you're going, and all the rest of that. And uh, I, I, uh, I hats off to you guys. I think that uh, that, that message is, is really coming together and looks good. And I know, you know, it's hard. Um, it must be you guys must be kind of difficult to let you cover that whole spectrum and, and meet everyone's expectations, let's say. No, for sure. I mean, it's a very broad range of people. And, um, you know, I think the interesting thing is uh, that, um, you know, if, if you look at other industries, I think that um, commercial, what's considered, you know, uh, let's say consumer electronics and what's considered industrial products are, are quite different and the users are fairly different. But, you know, I, I really think that for us, um, you know, they are differentiated, but they're also the same in a lot of ways. They're, they're people who are, you know, maybe not so interested in the business of, of tinkering and soldering and maybe even flying in some cases. Um, so, 
you know, the fact that we have, say, an auto takeoff button now in Droid Planner where you press a button and the aircraft takes off and hovers, you know, things like that are, are interesting to both the parents that want to take pictures of their kid's soccer game and to the, the farmer who um, wants to collect a bunch of data. So I think that there's actually quite a bit of overlap between those, uh, those areas. Right. Well, and I and I do think it's uh, it's interesting you hit on the, the consumer, um, you know, with I guess the user expectations on the consumer side. Did you see South Park last night? I did. I missed it. I was watching the I was watching the Giants game. All right. Well, we see where your loyalties lie here. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it is kind of funny what people expect a consumer and uh, people who want to, you know, use this as a tool and all the rest of that. And that kind of, you know, segues into kind of the theme of today's program. Um, you know, so we see some of the new products here. And, uh, you know, I think this is an interesting thing. It's just kind of the first foray into turnkey offerings for 3D robotics. Uh, by that you mean the the mapping platforms are those yes. the first uh yeah so um i would say i would say no actually the the iris um which oh maybe that was launched at the end of 2012 or so and then the iris plus uh, more recently those were really our first um we've of course had rtf aircrafts before that ready to fly but those were really our first aircraft that um that uh you know were really uh, out of the box, you know, take it off uh, and and fly and have a good time with it. So the mapping aircraft, I think, are just kind of a logical extension of that because now it's not only take it out of the box, fly, but it's take it out of the box, fly, and gather some meaningful data for what you're trying to do. So it's even a step further as far as automation is concerned. And that's kind of borne out in how we've automated the mission planning process and other parts of it. Are you on a train? <laughs> I'm just teasing. Somebody's here. The 3D offices here in Berkeley are fantastic, except when you need to be on the radio. It's uh, we're right down by uh, by the water, beautiful view. But uh, you know, the, we have a train that that runs right next to the building. So uh, sorry about that to your listeners. <laughs> I'll try and meet at strategic. Oh, that's okay. Uh, it's just kind of funny. It's always it always works that way. I don't have the the uh, the cats are not meowing today. I guess they're they're busy, but. Um, Anyway, yeah, so uh, it, it is, you know, okay, so it's true. You did, you guys did have, you know, some kind of turnkey products, but those uh, were something that's a little bit different here. You have something that's kind of a package that's actually for, let's say, an industry. And uh, there's a lot of, I think, excitement about that. Like you said, there's, there's a lot of, say, end users who don't want to do the tinkering and, let's say, uh, collaborating and putting all the parts and pieces and everything together. They want to they buy something. They want to pull it out of the box. They want to learn how to use it, and they want to start, let's say, uh, gathering actual data. And so sure. maybe you can talk about these. I mean, you have two different mapping products, and maybe you can kind of talk about them, and then talk about, you know, um, you know, the thinking behind each one, and who you kind of envision the end user to be for each one of those products. For sure, yeah, um, and you know, I'd be remiss to not not mention the you know the rest of the industry and how mapping is not really new, but I think it's important to highlight how you know what we're doing is different from you know what SenseFly and Trimble and Topcon and those companies uh, have. So you know, we we make two uh, mapping aircraft ready to fly, which are built on X8 platform, uh, octocopter coaxial, and uh, the Aero platform, which is a Skywalker airframe. 
just um, uh, built up nicely, uh, higher end components, um, higher end power system. And, uh, you know, with those um, platforms that we've sold for, you know, the past year, you get uh, a camera, um, uh, some software that runs on the camera, a control cable that talks to the autopilot. And then, of course, uh, you get Pix4D uh, Mapper, and that's a special version of Pix4D, the photogrammetry software and our photogrammetry partner. So you get all that, plus you get the, the open source uh, ground station that you always got, which is Mission Planner and, and Droid Planner very soon. And, uh, you know, end-to-end, -end, you've got um, all the components for the three essential parts of mapping, which are plan, fly, and analyze. So you plan your mission, hit go, and it really is hands-off from the time you hit go until the time you land. And then uh, you do some analysis, and all the analysis is in, is in PIX40 uh, Mapper, which is, which is bundled with the whole package. So, you know, the, these aircraft cost $5,400 each, which might not seem... Um, Seems like a lot. That certainly would be um, a lot, a lot for me if I were uh, on a farm or a construction site. But you know, relative to what the competition is doing and what the industry has done, you know, these aircraft um, that I mentioned, Sensefly, Parrot, uh, rather Trimble, Topcon, you know, these are in the twenty-five thousand dollar plus range. Um, mm. They're way closer to what a, a military UAS might be like, and um, you know, it's for, it's for good reason. They've, they're highly optimized platforms. Um, and they do their jobs really well. But um, what I think is most interesting and is actually part of the design of the aircraft is, you know, there, there's no secret about how expensive UAVs can be. We've, we've seen that from the military. But the question is, what, what's the sweet spot of the price point versus trade-off of features? You know, where is that trade-off? And that's, that's really what we're trying to figure out because, you know, the history of 3DR is interesting things happen when you start making things very inexpensive. And that's, that's what's going on here as well. And I will strategically mute as the next train goes by. <laughs> uh, well, that's all. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's kind of interesting that uh, how, how you put that, because I, I do think that, uh, you know, the price points even in the in, in this unmanned aircraft system sector, the, the military stuff is totally off the chart. That's definitely like animals that, that live on a preserve. That's, that's something that... Uh, that's the analogy that I use, and the rest of us are out here trying to make a living, scratching that out of the what's left. Um, it's a, I, I think the price points are all going to come. You know, they have to let's say settle down, but um, these price points don't seem ridiculous to me. I think these are something that somebody professionally can can let's say justify as a tool, and uh, and I think that that that's probably a good place to start. It'll be interesting to see how many of these you guys sell and what the interest is. And uh, things like that. But I was hoping to, I should give Gene a chance to jump in here. Gene, did you uh, have anything that you'd like to add or questions you'd like to ask? No, no, I, I, I've not much really. I, I really applaud and encourage, you know, everyone to do what they can to, to, to bring more reliability and repeatability to what we need. And, uh, you know, you have to get into that production mode to get it done, have the parts pipeline to make it viable. So, I've, you know, you, you've kind of got a cheerleader back here going, yeah, let's go, let's get this thing going. So, Yeah, so, uh, you know, and, and maybe that's something that we can, uh, you know, you did say you had some upgraded parts, and um, you guys are, are, are using um, 
some some other parts on say more of a professional grade and whatever else. But the the other thing I want to make sure we hit um, before we run out of time, and that usually happens pretty quick, is maybe you could uh, elaborate on the Pix4D software that's bundled with these these mapping products. For sure, yeah. So so Pix4D is a um, company out of Switzerland, and uh, they make pr- professional uh, photogrammetry software, and people who are um, already doing photogrammetry from, say, manned aircraft or larger UAS um, would be familiar with that, that software. Um, and there's many other options out there. There's, uh, there's Agisoft, there are uh, Photoscan, that is, um, tons of others, open source packages. And really what it came down to for us was having a good relationship with that company, being able to pick up the phone and talk to them, and also finding a company that shared similar sensibilities about ease of use. So if you go use a professional uh, 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 products um, for doing photogrammetry, some of them are, are really hard to use, and it's not just um, you know one-button kind of solution. And uh, that's because the nature of the work is inherently complicated. You know, if you use mm-hmm. something like Adobe Premiere or um, I forget what the Final Cut, the Mac, you know, video editing tool, those, those, that's fundamentally complicated stuff. And photogrammetry is fundamentally complicated. But the nice thing about Pix40 is I think they've, they've struck a really good balance between, hey, give me one button to push, push to get some results and feel, like, feel good about what I did. And then also have all the advanced tools like ground control, uh, ground control point um, control. Uh, the ability to add manual tie points and all that, all that stuff that you might want to do because you know at, at UAS Reno I met a gentleman who is a professional surveyor and he does a lot of volume estimation. These are kind of the, the crazy applications you hear about at these conferences and he his whole business has to do with moving dirt from A to B and if his estimate of where his dirt piles are are off by just a little bit like if his orthomosaic accuracy is let's say 40 centimeters accurate versus about five centimeters, which is what he can tolerate. That's millions of dollars in, in the difference of a contract that he'll quote. So, you know, you really need a pro product for doing these kinds of professional survey grade applications. And that's what, that's what PIX4D is, but I, I definitely want to emphasize the fact that, um, you know, it's built to work really well with our aircraft, um, with our flight logs, and um, it is built to uh, be very, very easy to use. Well, you know, you hit uh, several several points I'd like to address, and one of them is is you know you're you're, you're talking about uh, the quality of the data, and it's interesting that you say that because uh, you know the different pipe price points I think also reflect that. You know, you kind of uh, alluded to the one gentleman needs a certain resolution, or <clears throat> it's not really worth it to him. But again, these these when you get down, uh, let's say to the the nitty gritty of the deal, every, different people have different tolerances for the the level of accuracy that they need, and again, what they can charge. So I think that there's kind of you know like an economy of scale in let's say the sensors and products and things like that. Um, where some of these other systems that go up might might cost more money, but you know it might be something else that somebody needs. It was was that kind of factored into uh, the let's say production of these two 3DR products? Yeah, for sure. I, I guess your question is, um, you know, where how did we design that price point? And of course, you know, more price gets you higher quality. But you know, what's mm-hmm. what's the quality trade off essentially? Is that pretty much the the idea? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, 
uh, you know, coming from a background of doing the most expensive thing, you know, in, in um, at my research group at Berkeley, we flew these quarter million dollar aircraft. Um, there's, a, there's a nice article on the Atlantic about this this month, actually, that goes over this. But, um, you know, it's true. It's a really bad day when you uh, when you put that aircraft into the ground. And um, the thing is, is, gravity doesn't care about how expensive your aircraft is, is what it comes down no. to. You. Um, the physics, sure. the physics don't care. Physics don't care exactly, and uh, I think that that is is a huge um, driver because there's this nasty little cost spiral you can get into where okay, I've got my aircraft, it costs a hundred dollars. I made it out of foam from Home Depot, and then I put uh, one of the cheap GoPro knockoffs on it. Great, it does what I want it to do. Okay, but now I want a little bit better quality, so I'm going to put a GoPro on it. Maybe I buy a Hero 4 Black even, which is five hundred dollars. Well, now, you know, now I'm thinking about buying, like, slightly nicer servos and rods because mechanical failures, you know, I'm, like, at an 80%, um, 20% out there. Okay, so I start increasing the cost there. And, and you can kind of see where I'm going. And this, this kind of logic goes and goes and goes until you've got, you know, ground support crew and until you have checklists that are a mile long and you're really averse to flying. So, you know, I'm not claiming that uh, this price point, $5,400, is, is the end-all and be-all. It's really just a, a guess at what, um, what uh, the market can bear, but it's a very aggressive guess if you look at the, um, the, um, the competition. And basically we just looked at, you know, what's the best we can do with off-the-shelf parts. We're using, um, we're using off-the-shelf hobby grade stuff where uh, we're using um, point-and-shoot cameras, but, uh, you know, cheap hardware. I'd say, I'd say um, probably hobby grade hardware, not, not that cheap, it's high-end hobby grade stuff. But um, very smart software. Very smart software is what it comes down to. Um, and that goes into the software and the camera, of course, the ground station, and then the aircraft itself. So, you know, I, I don't really have, like, a good answer as to why, you know, that price point in particular. It, it was based on a lot of market an analysis. And it was based on, you know, shaking things up a little bit also, you know, because it's right. a quarter as a comparable aircraft. Yeah, but I mean, you know, the other thing with that is, is, you know, when you're kind of pioneering this stuff, uh, you know, you kind of got to make guesses, you know, you have to take with what you know, and you guys <clears throat> have this uh, track record of, of, of that spectrum that we talked about. And I mean, I, you know, I think you have to put it out there and see what the market's going to bear. Um, I don't think that it's that the price point's unreasonable at all. I mean, I, I, I think as the and I keep talking about this evolution of technology, and I think as we kind of go forward and these become more, let's say, consumery type products um, that somebody professional might buy, you know, you think, okay, well, you know, what's my return on investment? What's the quality of the data I can get? And how long is it until I get my money back? When am, when am I making money on this? And, I, and I, you know, you guys are going to have to um, – you're out there pioneering this, and you're going to have to kind of uh, – you know, go with the flow and figure that one out. And so <clears throat> no one can really fault you for that. Although you could probably find people on the internet that would fault you for it, but you know, they're, they're very uh, easy to come by. As, as I've noticed out there on the internet, there's tons of critics, but uh, whatever. Um, the other question I had, you know, is this is kind of, uh, let's say targeted towards the more, let's say professional customer. Cause I don't, I don't know if a lot of hobbyist, map makers but you know you never know could be a whole group out there what's uh what what's the learning curve on this you know if i was to go out here and buy this and i was a mapping professional uh what what do you think uh the investment in in time is before i'm uh able to make some 
let's say, go out and do some jobs? Sure, that's a great question. And um, you know, to, to just to go back to the point you had before, we are um, we're always going to serve the hobbyist, and we, we do have a mapping upgrade package, which is um, designed for people who want to you know BYO. They've got their own airframe, um, and they want to and they want to integrate this into, and they don't necessarily want to figure out all the stuff we had to figure out about. Oh, how do we do camera control appropriately? So I, I forget the price point for that actually, um, but um, you know, it's everything less the, the airframe. So there's that to mention. But, you know, to your point on, um, you know, what's the time investment? I think that you got to break it down into pieces. So what, what's the time investment to learn how to fly one of our aircraft? If it's a, if it's a copter, um, we generally see people flying auto missions reliably and being a decent safety pilot, I'd say, within um, two to four hours of training. Uh, and that's being able to understand fail-safes and understand how the system works and, and fly autonomous missions. Um, to be a pro is, of course, you know, more time. But in, in order to do basic mission planning, which is pretty much what uh, survey requires, four hours. Then um, to be able to uh, do the analysis in PIX4D, there's actually a great webinar that PIX4D just uh, just put up today on how to use uh, their particular variant of software for 3DR. I'd say you're going to spend, you know, anything from 10 minutes just to get quick results to maybe. I want to say five hours or so to understand that piece of software. And um, so it's really not a burden. You know, you could get, you could understand the system fairly well within a day of, of work, which I think is very important because a lot of people out there, you know, if we're talking about a farmer, they're not willing to spend a day to learn how to use their new DeWalt drill. That's like not, you know, an amount of time that they, they want to spend. And this, that's what this should be. But, you know, recognizing the fact that we're not totally there yet with as far as UAVs go. Um, I can give you one anecdote, which is we work with a, a fantastic wine grower up in um, up in Sonoma, uh, Ryan Kundi. He's got a, a winery drink, DRNK, and um, very much a technology leader, uh, very much a pioneer. And um, you know, he's he's a guy who's uh, gone to UC Davis, has a degree in viticulture, um, a fairly techie guy. Uh, certainly not a drone expert, though. And he uh, flies our systems totally on his own. We go visit him, and he's operating them. And I'd say, you know, he spent on the order of a couple days um, in aggregate in aggregate to learn how to fly them well. So, you know, that's 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 one one anecdote. And he and he uses it to actually make his products better and and to save money. There's a ton on the analytics side as well that he's doing. I'm gonna have to someday get out there. I've seen pictures, and you keep talking this winery up. <clears throat> so I think uh, I have to get up there <laughs> and uh, maybe try well, some of the wares. Yeah, I mean his his uh, family is uh, one of the biggest uh, has one of the biggest wineries in Sonoma Kundi Family Estates, and we work with them uh, a little bit as well. A beautiful site, um, very worth going to. Yeah, well, one of these days I'll have to uh, make it out there. I mean, I went. To, we did uh, do that. Uh, what was it? The Iron Horse Wineries thing for Earth Day a while back. This the spring. That's right. And that was fun. Lots of mariachi. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah you got to well, take field trips, Patrick. <laughs> I well, you know, I'm busy. I, I'm bogged down in this. Oh God, if you saw the desk, it's just you know, it's a miracle. My wife doesn't throw me out of here. <laughs> it's total disaster. But <laughs> you know, there's a lot of work to plow through. Um, well, you know, all of that was uh, really interesting. And I, I do want to say, if you want to the do-it-yourself map community, if you want to send hate, hate mail. Send that to Gene. 
the do-it-yourself <laughs> DeWalt drill kind of community. You can send the hate mail to Brandon. <laughs> and, no, I'm just teasing. Anyway, Brandon, could you uh, give us the website um, for, I mean, most people probably know it, but we have international listeners who may be hiding under a rock somewhere. Yeah, for sure. I'm just pulling it up here. So it's uh, 3DRobotics.com is the website. You can find us on Twitter, of course, at, at 3DR, which is actually where we do a ton of our support and just listening to users. Also, our Facebook group, 3D Robotics, um, particularly the Iris Owners page. And then for the mapping aircraft, that's 3DRobotics.com forward slash mapping dash drones. If you just Google 3D Robotics and mapping, it's the first link that comes up as well. Um, and you can also find me uh, on that site uh, and on Twitter just at, at Brandon Basso. <laughs> that's all right. Hey, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for coming on. It was very informative. Uh good luck with the products and I'm sure I'll be seeing you soon in the future. Gene, nice as always to talk to you. Uh you were kind of the client cheerleader this episode. <laughs> that's right. Uh, someone's got to do it. <laughs> Appreciate it, sir. See everyone next week uh right here at the SUS News podcast. Adios. Great, thanks.